Welcome in college uh, hockey fans in the desert southwest to another edition of Pro Hockey Southwest Weekly. I'm Scott Strandy, your uh, host from Scottsdale, Arizona. My co-host Seth Askelson is with me. Um, Seth, somewhere in Arizona, where are you tonight? Uh, we're in uh, technically north, uh, technically Glendale, actually, but uh, postal code Glendale, but uh in terms of city boundaries and uh utilities uh north phoenix so ah. a little bit of a, a weird boundary draw there but uh somewhere in the glendale north phoenix area we'll say i hear you well i'm in the site similar area in scottsdale north phoenix as well so welcome in tonight it's uh week two of the uh how do we call this the covid19 cancellation postponement uh, pause, whatever we want for professional hockey, but uh, what a strange series of events. Your thoughts just as to where we are right now with uh, everything in professional hockey, certainly here in the desert southwest. Yeah, I mean, as the world has progressed in advanced medicine and, you know, we always get new advancements pretty much on the year, you know, as um, just great researchers, great doctors, things like that. I don't think anybody would have ever imagined that in the 21st century we would have a pandemic that's not only canceled sports, but canceled the economy pretty much and um, has forced outside of needing to go to the grocery store, forced everybody um, into their homes. So uh, definitely a, a weird time, right? Like this is, I saw somewhere on Twitter today, somebody's like, look, this is something, this is something that kids in 15 years are going to be reading in their history books. You know, when, when I was in school, I uh, was just entering uh, most of my school pretty much right as 9-11 happened. Um, I was actually in kindergarten when 9-11 occurred. And, um, you know, through the years, there was kind of little blurbs about it. And, you know, because it was so new. But um, I ended up reading a, a history book from somebody uh, in my family that is currently, like, in high school and saw the book. And now there's, like, you know, nearly a whole chapter dedicated to 9-11 in the aftermath. So this is one of those things that, you know, uh, those who have kids now or, you know, are going to have kids in the future when they sit down to do the homework, they're going to have a probably a good chapter or so in their social studies book about uh, this time period in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, for those of you that don't know or have missed us for a couple of weeks, uh, we do cover college and professional hockey. This is our professional hockey segment. Every Monday night, 7.30 p.m., Seth and I will uh, break down hockey. We wish we had some games to talk about, but unfortunately with the uh, COVID-19 coronavirus uh, pandemic going on, it's, uh, it's a little quiet, obviously, and for good reason. We want everybody to be safe. I do uh, want to mention, though, we do have a very special guest, uh, Las Vegas fans and fans of uh, ACHA Hockey in the Desert Southwest will know our guests that will be joining us here in about 10, 12 minutes, but... Uh, Cody Williams is going to join us, and Cody has made the jump from ACHA D1 hockey in uh, Las Vegas for UNLV onto a professional career in the Euro Hockey League, um, I believe playing over in France. We'll have a chance to ask Cody some details about that, but Cody was playing, I believe, right up until their season was suspended as well, so we'll, uh, we'll ask him a little bit about that as he comes on. Before we bring Cody on, though, uh, Seth, let's just talk about the, where we were when everything came to a screeching halt here, what, roughly two weeks ago, um, the Golden Knights had a uh, stronghold on the, uh, the top spot, at least, in the Pacific Division with 86 points through 71 games. The Oilers uh, at 71 games, but 83 points, so definitely within striking distance. And then the Flames were in at uh, 79 points in 70 games, so... Very much bunched up at the top when you throw the Canucks in in the four spot with 78 points, and then the Arizona Coyotes with uh, 74 points. So let's quickly just recap uh, the Coyotes situation. You and I both talked about it being a uh, almost must-win the rest of the way out, but the Coyotes had an opportunity to, to make a little bit of a run with some home games, and to see that all at least pause for now, kind of disheartening as, uh, as well, right? Yeah, and it, especially the way they were playing at home before the stoppage, right? It It's one of those things where at the beginning of the year, we were talking about why can't this team figure out at home? This team's dominant on the road. They can just, you know, bring what they bring on the road to the home, you know, back home to Glendale. They could easily run away with the division, but the, and they did. They brought a good, good style of hockey over to 
the um, back to Gila River Arena. But the problem is, is they didn't take it back with them on the road. So, um, yeah, it was a good opportunity to, to get some to get some much needed games. But you were kind of in a spot with Arizona sitting four points out. You know, again, that's two wins. The problem is the team that um, both teams that technically occupy that spot, Nashville and uh, Vancouver. Vancouver should um, kind of some weird tiebreakers there um, in terms of overtime loss and stuff like that. But basically Nashville and Vancouver, both at 78 points, uh, they played 69 games. So they had played one last game than the Coyotes. So yeah, you can say, oh, they're four points out, you know, two games out. But in reality, uh, they were almost two and a half, three games out just because teams in front of them had played more. And again, the game that uh, got canceled, Yeah, you know, the first game after the suspension was announced was going to be uh, Arizona and Vancouver. And Arizona had actually uh, took it, stole two points from Vancouver uh, on the road. So, I mean, that again, that would have been a fantastic opportunity. You know, you get two points back. It, it, there's a four-point games, as we've talked about. But, um, yeah, the Coyotes were in an odd spot where they were two losses away from, okay, the this is getting into dangerous territory. I think you're, I think the arrow, you know, was in the yellow territory, you know, teetering on red, but it would have been almost, um, you know, I, I don't think professional athletes panic a lot, but, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, it was almost full panic mode. Yeah, absolutely. And the Golden Knights, on the other hand, were on a run. They were uh, posting the best record in the Pacific Division with the uh, last 10 games, at least, with an 8-2-0 mark, and were flying at home, and they used uh, – some of the guys that they acquired at the trade deadline to uh, bolster their team, both uh, offensively, defensively, and, and goaltending. So the Golden Knights were really on a roll. And you got to wonder now, Seth, if, uh, if and when things come back for this season, how does that affect both teams, right? Because uh, you, know, you never know if, um, if we're going to have, you know, we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. But, but one thing we do know is all the players are going to get some rest, but is there too much rest? You know, if this goes for a month or so, uh, how are these guys going to come back and what kind of shape are they going to be in? Well, and I think that's where you get into a point where I don't think we're coming back this year. I know the NHL has made a point to say, hey, we want to award the Stanley Cup. We want to make sure this gets out, but I just don't see how that happens, right? Like you said, these guys have to get back into shape. I mean, they're talking about, and not even back into shape, you know, they're high caliber athletes. They're in some sort of shape, but you know, uh, I'm sure you could ask a lot of those guys, hey, what is it like coming into training camp for those first couple of days? And I'm sure they say, yeah, it's, you know, getting back into it, getting back into that practice speed, that game type speed. Yeah, this isn't, oh, season's ready to go. Okay, get on the ice and let's finish. It's going to be a week, 10 days, two weeks in order for those guys to feel comfortable. And I just, I just don't see a way they reward a Stanley Cup this season. I know they've played a lot of the season. Um, it's been about 85%. I just don't know. I don't I don't see where you finish this season and then start next season on time, 82 games, especially because, you know, I, look, the players deserve a union, right? I'm not saying that they don't. But the, you know, I don't, the players union and the league haven't always been, you know, uh, shaking each other's hands and patting each other's backs necessarily. So, um you know, the players union is going to fight for, for what's right for the players. And I think, you know, if, if the NHL says, oh, yeah, we're just going to come back and we're going to finish the season, then we'll start again in October. What are the players going to say? Are they going to say, well, I'm not going to finish a Stanley Cup final in late August and then be in training camp 10 days later? Like, that's not that's not realistic. So uh, I think there's there's two ways this finishes. The one – the one way, the way that I think is going to happen is they're going to scrap this season and they're just going to start over. Just, okay, clean slate. We'll start again um, next year. And the other way is, is they finish this, this season once, you know, large gatherings are able to happen and, and all that. They start this season back up, you know, whether they start the playoffs immediately or maybe try to get to, you know, get to like, say, 72 games. So you play the last four games of your schedule, whatever it may be. Um, I think they're going to try and find a way to get that done. And then they almost have like a lockout type season where, okay, you know, everybody's off until 
December, you know, early November, December, we'll come back for training camp, a couple of preseason games, and then we'll get going again in January. So those are the only two ways I see in terms of like big, big picture. How is this season going to end? Those are the two ways. And I think it's going to end with, uh, they're just going to move on to next September. Well, and that's the crazy thing with this uh, couple of things, Seth, is that it's worldwide pandemic, right? It's not just isolated to the United States or Canada or whatever. And I'm sure when we get Cody on here in just uh, three, four minutes or so, we will ask him what it was like over there. I mean, uh, Europe hit extremely hard. The the, uh, country of Italy, of course, we all know just how bad and how consistently bad it still is over there. So this is affecting every league. It's not just a league. And uh, it's trickled all the way down, obviously, through the NCAA ranks, the ACHA ranks, the youth ranks. I mean, it's affected everybody. So the next obvious question is, how does it affect economics? I mean, we see in the short term, the players are stepping up and donating money to to pay for people. And initially, when this was all, and again, it, it goes back to the point we just don't know, is that a lot of people were saying it could be like 14 days, right? Well, we, I think we all know better than that now. It's going to be more than 14 days because we're approaching 14 days, and I don't see it getting a whole lot better at the moment. Yeah, I like I said, I just don't see where this where they play, right? Like, like you said, it, it's one of those things where okay, you have to, you're going to have to come back, and, and you're going to have to get those guys ready. They're not just going to be able to jump right back on the ice and play at a high level without risking injury. And right. I just don't, I just don't know how they get that done. And because like you said, economically, like how is this going to affect the salary cap? I think this is going to affect the salary cap big time. Um, Boy, you, you would have to think so. Like, yeah. I think I saw the projection was about, uh, about 86 million or was it? Yeah. About 86. So an extra $4 million in cap space. And I mean, for a team like the coyotes who, are losing some contracts at the end of this year. Richardson's contract is done. Soderbergh's contract is done. Um, you know, maybe they find a way to shed a couple more, maybe Gradner's contract. Maybe they buy him out and give themselves another about a million and a half um, in cap space. Do they try to trade a guy like Goligoski to free up some space? But if you want to re-sign Taylor Hall, you know, adding $4 million, even if they aren't able to re-sign Taylor Hall and they pretty much stay status quo with the contracts they have right now, um, that's big. Adding $4 million can be the difference between keeping a guy like Taylor Hall and him walking the free agency. And again, some of those um, extensions kick in. Clayton Keller's extension kicks in starting next year. So it's not a, a clear, oh, these, you know, some of these contracts are leaving and then all of a sudden there's this cap space open. It is, you know, going to include yeah. those extensions that were signed this past summer. But um, still, even with Keller's extension kicking in, you're still probably going to find yourself with an extra at least $2 million with all the other contracts expiring, you know, prior to you'd, you'd add pretty much another $2 million to the cap at what it is right now. And then you throw another 4 million on top of that, right? Like that's another 6 million or so, which again, could be enough to, to keep a guy like Taylor Hall around and, you know, okay. So you keep, you keep him around and you use half of that. We'll say extra cap, right? Like Taylor already Hall already has a cap hit. So you'd probably add, I don't know, I'd say another four to $5 million on top of that that still might be enough to say, oh, well, we have $3 million left. We can bring in a younger version of, say, like a Carl Soderberg, a good second, third-line center who's very dependable. So, you know, for a team like the Coyotes who are going to have some interesting navigation tactics if they want to keep some top players, you know, does the, the league not playing affect how that seller cap works? Because the way that works is the reason that seller cap goes up and says, okay, you know, a lot of these teams have made money this year and, and have that money to spend. So we'll bump it up, you know, kind of reward the teams for a good league sure. year. And, you know, you cut, I mean, the Stanley Cup playoffs is the biggest moneymaker for the National Hockey League. And if you're going to oh. wipe that out, what does that do? Right. It's going to be interesting. Well, let's take a quick break. Let's come right back with our uh, the pride of UNLV hockey and, uh, and Cody Williams in just a minute. I can't wait to get to Las Vegas and check out the fortress. Going to see the Golden Knights? No. Stopping at Jesse Ray's Barbecue for lunch. Oh, that fortress. That combination of brisket, hot links, fries, mac and cheese, surrounded by a fence of ribs? I'm in. Exactly. 
Jesse Ray's Barbecue, located at 5611 South Valley View Boulevard, right behind the Mandalay Bay Hotel. Check out their pulled pork, smoked chicken, or the fall off the bone baby back ribs. Jesse Ray's Barbecue has been voted the best barbecue in Las Vegas two years running. So whether it's a midday meal or a pregame feast, head to Jesse Ray's Barbecue for all their award-winning tastes. All right. Well, we heard from Jesse Ray's Barbecue. I can tell you right now that they have uh, heeded the uh, the words of Governor uh, Sisolik in Nevada and taken uh, a little time off as well. So safety first in, in every aspect, whether it's business, uh, sports, whatever it is. But it's time right now to introduce uh, our, our guest for the night, which is uh, Cody Williams, who uh, a Las Vegas native who uh, played uh, – ACHA hockey. I saw Cody way back when he was playing ACHA D2 hockey in, at UNLV, and they advanced up to D1. And very proud to say that he is a professional hockey player. Cody Williams, uh, you know, what, what can I say? I, I watched him play. I, I thought he was a fantastic player at the ACHA level, and who knew that he was going to take the next step up to the Euro League? So, Cody, are you with us? I think we got Cody there somewhere. Cody, if you uh, if you can see that number three call in button, just hit that green button and jump on board with us. Ah, there he is, Cody Williams. How are you, my friend? Cody, can you hear me? I see him, but I can't hear him. Okay, let's keep trying for Cody here. We'll have him either hit uh, call in three or call in four and see if we can get him uh, get him on board with us. There he comes, Cody. Hey, how's it going? Uh, it's going well. How are you? It's good. How are you? Well, first things first, happy birthday. If I'd have known it was your birthday, I would have let you have the day off for crying out loud. Oh, no worries. Thank you, though. I appreciate it. <laughs> Well, you're live with uh, Seth Askelson and myself, Scott Strandy. So, uh, you know, I was just telling everybody uh, before you came on that I remember watching you play at the ACHA D2 level, and you were kind of the mainstay when when Coach uh, Vigneri Greener and, and Nick Raboni rebuilt the uh, UNLV program. And let's start right there, Cody. Tell me a little bit about when you look back at it right now, how proud of you are you to say you're a UNLV Rebel? Oh, it's great, you know, seeing uh, how how much the program's grown just even in just the last year where it went, uh, me being gone, it's been great. So uh, just being able to be a part of it and seeing that it's only going to get better and that's what they said from day one and they haven't uh, they haven't lied about it at all and it's been a dream come true to, to be able to be a part of it and uh, I would be... I'd be stoked if I had the opportunity to do it again or uh, if any other kids out there wanted to do it. I, I definitely highly suggest it. So when I, when I say the words Cody Williams, professional hockey player, I know that was a dream of yours. Um, tell us about how it became a reality and how you ended up in France, correct? Yeah, France. Uh, it was really cool. I had uh, some friends there. Uh, they work with the 93 Hockey Services. And they helped me get in touch with uh, the coach at the, the Every Very Jets. And that's how I got connected with them. Showed them a little highlight video that I made. And uh, uh, got the contract and got got over there in August. And just got back a few weeks ago, right, as things kind of started getting a little crazy. So what what was it like over there? What was the, the craziness like? I mean... Did you come home before, or did they shut the uh, the league down, or how did it all play out for you? Um, well, our our season we ended uh, we lost in the quarterfinals, so um, un I mean I would say luckily we lost and we didn't like get our season cut short due to the virus, um, right? So, um, but yeah, our season ended in the quarterfinals, but once it got to the semifinals, that's when the uh, virus shut down our league and everything like that. So our season was unable to finish. And so I, I've been back for a couple of weeks now, which has been nice. But um, over Tell there, it wasn't going too crazy yet. Like uh, everything, um, when it came to like the virus and stuff, like every like no one was 
crazy at the stores. All the stores were normal. People were acting normal. So transit was normal. Yeah, you know, I talked to uh, one of your former teammates, Jake Sachs, uh, last summer. Shortly after you, had, I think he left maybe a week earlier, and I asked Jake, I said, do you have aspirations of going over? He goes, oh, absolutely. He said, I've already asked Cody if he needs a translator. So, yeah, I think oh, you yeah, got a built-in yeah. French translator if you need one. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> if I ever need him, I know I have Saxy, which is nice. Seth, you got any uh, questions you want to throw at Cody in regards to the Euro Hockey League? Yeah, sorry, I had my uh, microphone off for just a second as that uh, conversation was a good conversation. Cody, um, appreciate you having or coming on with us. Um, no problem. What Thanks is the feeling me. like? Yeah, what is the feeling like? Um, I'm sure you're seeing what's going on with the NHL. With you know, the season one isn't over, as you said. The unfortunately for you guys, your season was over in the semifinal, but it doesn't mean your season was cut short. What have what's been the feeling of some of the other guys that you know, you know, are playing in different leagues whose seasons maybe hadn't even started into the playoffs yet? What is their feeling like, and and what are they kind of hearing in terms of if they'll even be able to resume? Uh, you know, it's unfortunate. I uh, I can't imagine that some of the feelings, especially like you said, like some some people are so some leagues are closer to than others to the finals so like some leagues were really close some leagues were like you said hasn't even started playoffs yet so um i think the way most of my friends and community have been looking at it is just kind of like well everyone's in the same boat so as much as it is a bummer it's not like they're getting singled out or anyone's getting singled out it's kind of just like well everyone has to do this it's unfortunate um i really hope and think I wouldn't say I think, but I really hope that, you know, the NHL and everything is able to start back up and able to finish their season, um, especially because it's been getting so good lately. <laughs> but, um, you know, we just got to take safety precautions and do what we got to do, I guess, and wait this thing out. Cody, I want to ask you yeah, about I – mean, um, I'm sorry, Seth, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead, Scott. I, I'll ask in a second. Okay. Cody, I was just going to ask you to, to look back at, at Vegas again because, you know, when I first met you um, in your first year at UNLV, there was no Golden Knights at that point. You guys were over at the uh, um, yeah, Ice, not Ice Palace, but Ice, ice, ice something. Ice Center. <laughs> yeah, the Ice Center. There you go. Uh, and you guys were over at the Ice Center. And, uh, and, I, and now all of a sudden, four or five years later, it's absolutely exploded. When you get back to Vegas, and I'm sure you get back there some, you're, you're in Kansas City right now, correct? Yeah, correct. So when, when you get back there, did you ever think Vegas is going to become such a hockey mecca as it is right now? Um, no, and that's why it's been so much fun for me to just kind of sit back and not only be a part of the, the college hockey growing, but just uh, – also, just to sit back and watch the professional hockey grow, and obviously, I've enjoyed hockey my entire life. So, for everyone to finally kind of enjoy it, and for everyone to be able to see some, you know, see some NHL hockey as well as some really good college hockey, I think it's uh, something. Like I said, I just try and sit back and enjoy it and enjoy the moments. And I, I love, I love the Golden Knights. I love going to the Knights games and stuff like that. So, just hoping the NHL season is able to get back up and running anytime. Yeah, Seth, Cody's... go ahead and jump your question in there. Yeah, sorry. Um, that's the thing is, I think Scott brought up a, an interesting point about Vegas and, and the way it's growing. I mean, in the, in the time you were there in Vegas, I think it was some of the feelings uh, like uh, in Arizona when hockey not only first came, but I think when it was really on a downswing and there was a threat to move, it was kind of like, well, how is this truly viable You know, in this city? And I think in Arizona, you've seen it you know the the opinions flipped 180 in terms of vegas when you were there what did you think uh the viability was of having a, not only a national hockey league team there but uh a good core of a youth system and a uh, adult hockey and, and things of that nature oh it's it's uh literally a night and day difference i think like uh, especially the the amount of youth programs that are available right now like with the golden knights and um uh, City National Arena and everything like that. I think that's really, really helped and really improved. And I've, I feel like I've seen a noticeable difference ever since City National Arena has been built. 
Um, obviously, the more rinks, the better. But I think the way City National um, runs their arena and runs their leagues and stuff like that, I think that they do a very good job. And I think it's mainly because they're obviously affiliated with the Knights. And I just, uh, it's a really great organization. And I, it's, it's like I said, it's been fun to watch. And it's been a night and day difference from when I, when I used to play at the Ice Center compared to when we moved over to City National. You know, Cody, a couple of weeks ago, I had a chance before everything kind of got crazy to uh, go up to Vegas one last time and, and visit with some of your old teammates as they prepared for the ACHA National Tournament. And I stopped in in Henderson and saw the uh, the building of that new AHL facility. And, you know, again, I, I, I guess it's amazement on my part as I just didn't know how Vegas could go from where it was five years ago to where it is right now. And now you're talking about next season having an NHL team, an AHL franchise. Um, I'm guessing you never thought you'd see an AHL franchise in Henderson. No way. It's actually very incredible how how fast this all really happened from, from when Vegas originally was talking about getting a team to now having a team couple years in the league now with yeah like you say a soon to be AHL team Justin Henderson I it's crazy and incredible how fast everything has happened all right let, let's bounce back to that and let's get back to your your season uh, in France first of all tell tell everybody out here is there differences between the hockey in France and the hockey in North America or are they still pretty similar uh, I'd say there's some differences. I think uh, it's not as physical here, I'd say. Um, I'd say they, they focus more on skill rather than... I mean, it's it's still physical, but it's not as physical. Like, I'd say there's not as much open ice hits and stuff like that. Um, but I know that some, some leagues are different. However, the league, the specific league I was in wasn't, very, uh, wasn't a very physical league, which was okay for me. <laughs> but uh, Right. <laughs> Um, but so, yeah, so tell that, us a little bit I, about, I really enjoyed it. Go ahead. I know one thing is different. Your, your uniforms are covered in, uh, in advertising over there, aren't they? Yeah, that's true. A lot of sponsors. Yeah. And, and the fan support, yeah, a lot of uh, give us some numbers that when you play, when you play a game, how many fans are, uh, are watching your league? Uh, it's pretty good. There's some, there's some, uh, teams that have, I'd say a couple thousand in the stands, which okay. is pretty fun. Um, but there are also some that don't have very many, which is kind of, it was kind of similar to the ACHA, um, environment in some cases, like some, some places had some really nice environments, a lot of fans and some, not so many or smaller rinks, just stuff like that. But, um, overall, I really enjoyed the experience. The language is really tough. <laughs> French is hard. Yeah, I bet. How about the food? Food okay? Oh, yeah. Food's pretty good. I liked trying a bunch of new things. Uh, uh, crepes, of course. They're delicious. Um, Chocolates. <laughs> that's pretty good. Some stuff like that. And, and, and this, you fill us in on the, uh, on the travel aspect. I mean, how far is it from game, game site to game site for you guys over there? So I, for me personally, I thought it was a the schedule was pretty relaxed. I mean, it was a very very good first season, um, you know, overseas and away from home and stuff like that. But we only had eighteen regular season games. We had about five or six preseason games, but um, so we only played one game a week. So it was uh, you know a lot of recovery and stuff. We practiced four to five times during the week, and then we'd play our one game on Saturday, and. Uh, Every game was that's uh, I'd say the furthest game away was maybe about a six hour six hour bus ride and so um, we had nine home games nine away games so we only had to travel nine times a couple other teams are close to Paris so we didn't need to travel too far and um, we only needed to stay overnight one time and that wasn't until playoffs. <laughs> oh wow, Seth, you so got anything more for Cody? To and from the same. Oh, very same nice. Night. Yeah, uh, Cody, I, th I think you made an interesting um, – or something that I, I kind of thought of when you were talking about your schedule. That's almost like a uh, college football-like schedule where you practice all week and then you play the one game and you're pretty much home by the end of the night. What is What was that schedule like? Instead of 
like you said, usually in ACHA, you would travel somewhere and you'd be there probably Friday to either late Saturday or Thursday to late Saturday night, early Sunday. What was that like where it was wake up on game day, drive to the city if you're on the road and then come on back and, and you're pretty much home and you have a Sunday off? Uh, it was different. Um, some weeks you enjoy the Sunday off, but I'd say for me personally, it was an adjustment. I, I like playing, obviously, you know, you like playing games. You don't want to play too many games, but I thought that uh, for me personally, 18 was was definitely not as many games as I would like. So, um, yeah, I would have liked playing at least two games a weekend, so at least hopefully double that. But um, overall, this whole experience was kind of just to get my foot in the door and to hopefully move on to something something uh hopefully a little bit better next year so uh that's kind of the whole goal and so overall i think this experience was good and it was and i learned a lot so that was kind of a lot of a lot of what i was wanting to do while i was over here as well to learn as much as i could about kind of how the how the leagues and how things work over over there that was going to be my next question for you is what's your plans for the future do you have uh have an idea where you want to play next year when all this pandemic stuff is hopefully cleared up and, and settled mm-hmm. down? Um, not exactly. Just keeping uh, keeping my options open. I I I would like to play maybe like uh, in the ne- next league. So I played in France three. So France two. I think that would be a good goal to kind of shoot for. But um, I'd be open to not just France. I'd be willing to go to another country or even just staying in the states or something. But. Uh, I do definitely plan on trying to play again if uh, if I'm able to. So. Okay. So yeah, final question for me, and I hear you. Final question for me, and I'll let Seth uh, wrap things up with you. But my question for you is, uh, when you when you look um, overall at, at the way things have gone and and the ability to to move over there, tell us a little bit about other Americans that maybe you played with, or, or did you have any other Americans on your roster? Um, no, not on my roster. No other Americans on on my team. There was so, just, so how uh, is that French? Sorry, how is, go ahead. Yeah, how is that for the uh, for the language barrier? Did you uh, communicate in hockey terms, or was there a lot of English speaking? How does that all go? Uh, it was tough. Um, it was nice though. My coach was was uh, fluent in English, so he knew English pretty well. A lot of the guys on my team knew English pretty well for the most part. There was only maybe three or four who didn't know much English at all. Um, and then we had some guys from Slovakia, a guy from Hungary, um, some guys from Finland, and uh, they were all pretty well versed in in uh, English, which was nice. So our mutual language was English for the most part. Seth, go ahead and wrap it up if you got something good for Cody. Yeah, Cody, I appreciate you. Again, like I said earlier, but uh, appreciate you coming on. And uh, just kind of um, what was – I know you said like the physicality of the game was a little bit different and there's a little bit of a language barrier, but I'm I'm always interested in the culture kind of shock for different players, right? Like when players come over to the U.S. from, say, Europe or a different country, you know, there's kind of that initial culture shock outside the language barrier. What were some of those – culture shock maybe moments for you when you first got to france um i'd say just kind of being out and about in the grocery store just kind of seeing how people function and do their daily things i just felt like it was kind of different and wondering if you're doing things correctly or if you're offending anyone or if you're doing things right or you know that was kind of some stuff that i was nervous about but the one place that i felt most comfortable was at the hockey rink because i feel like although like I was saying, the the type of games, like the physicality and stuff, was maybe a little different. But at the end of the day, you know, hockey's hockey, and in France and U.S. and Germany and stuff like that. So uh, it was uh, every time if I was having a rough day or something like that, or missing home, and I, if I had practice that night, I always felt better when I got to the rink because it was kind of just felt a little, you know, it just feels like home a little bit. Comf- it's a comforting feeling, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Well, Cody, we appreciate you taking some time, especially on your birthday. Happy birthday again, and uh, you know, stay in touch. We'd Thank love you to have much. you on again. The uh, the next level that you go to, and uh, like I say, once a rebel, always a rebel. I know those uh, seniors that you're still very close with uh, 
really had a disappointing season end because they uh, they had great aspirations at that ACHA tournament. And, you know, I know a lot of the guys look up to you and they, they look for that opportunity to take that next step. So thanks again for joining us tonight. Uh, have a good summer. Let's hope this uh, pandemic thing ends quickly and you guys can get back to playing some regular hockey. Yeah, definitely. Sounds good. Thanks again for having me and uh, stay safe out there. And I appreciate it. Thanks, you guys. You're welcome. All right, let's take another quick break, and uh, Seth and I will come back with uh, a little more NHL, AHL hockey talk here in the desert southwest on Pro Hockey Southwest Weekly. At the heart of any good cocktail is the quality of the spirit used. And if you want to make the best margaritas, if you just want a straight shot of the best-tasting tequila, then Roger Klein's Cancion Tequila is the brand for you. Award-winning Roger Klein's Cancion Tequila has the taste you want to make perfectly blended cocktails. Whether celebrating an overtime game winner or relaxing by the pool after a long work day, find your bottle, be it in Arizona or elsewhere in the U.S. Visit us at MexicanMoonshine.com. Roger Klein's Cancion Tequila, award-winning taste since 2011. All right, Seth, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if there's anybody better than Roger Klein's tequila, but Roger Klein also provided us some great uh, bumper music. So I picked out uh, one of his songs that I continue to use on all of our shows until this pandemic thing is over. It's called Empty Highway because when I heard it the first time and saw the name of it, I thought, you know, what's more fitting than what we're going through right now than like an empty highway, right? You drive down the streets now and you see far less traffic than you uh, used to and the hockey rinks are empty. So that one ties in. We'll end the, the day with uh, the show with what I call one of Roger's uplifting uh, uh, songs. And that one is called Hello New Day, which I think gives us all a little perspective that there will be a new day and hockey will be back. So your thoughts just on our visit with Cody and uh, what he's achieved going from uh, four years ago at the ACHA D2 level to uh, professional hockey, albeit in Europe. Yeah, I think it's a good story to promote because I think uh, when I was at GCU and I'm, you know, I'm still around the GCU program from time to time. I think there was a lot of guys, especially at that D2, you know, maybe the higher level of D3 that kind of sometimes didn't take things as seriously because it was like, yeah, this is the last hurrah. Where else am I going to go? What's at? you know, in terms of, hockey career right like of course everybody's sure. going to go out and have a, a, a successful job and, and a family and a house and things of that nature but like yeah you know who makes it from ACHA D2 hockey I, he's a good story I, I think that's a good story to show hey yeah you might not be playing NCAA D1 but that doesn't mean you can't go over to Europe and I think some of those leagues are in Europe are almost starved for players in terms of you know, there isn't a huge, you, know, you don't see the French national team going to the Olympics or the world championships every year, or the same thing with, you know, the in, in the UK or Great Britain and, or, you know, even some, some kind of out of the world places like Ireland, you know, you never think would have hockey, but I think they have a, some sort of a professional league. So, um, I mean, if you really set your mind to it, you can go over to Europe. And I mean, the way things are in Europe, right? Like you can afford to play professional hockey and, you know, maybe you have a job in the in the off season and, and still live comfortably. Whereas um, in the United States, it can it can be hard just kind of due to the fact that you know, say in France, right? Like that's their top professional league. Yeah, you know, it might not be at the so level of soccer or some of their other sports, but it's the top professional league. Whereas here in the United States, you know, uh, at the level of what maybe a, a top end ACHA D one player is, if they can't make it, say to the ECHL, well, yeah, there's independent leagues, but they pay you know, 150 a game and, and you got to help pick the stands up after the game and they're playing in, right. you know, at some, some smaller buildings. So I, I think it's, it's one of those things where it just shows, Hey, you know, just cause you play at the ACHA level doesn't mean there isn't a future in hockey. If, if you want to continue. Yeah. You know, one of the things I thought was interesting with the way Cody said is that they played, you know, basically 18 weeks um, of regular season. They played a game a week, basically nine on the road, nine at home, but, that's an awful lot of time for skill development. And I think you could hear it in his voice that he uh, developed his skill a little bit more. And I think he realizes that that was a stepping stone to another level, whether it be in Europe or somewhere else. So, you know, you can always improve as a hockey player, right? And uh, 
a lot of guys will go over to Europe, improve their game, and then move on. I mean, we see a guy like Jeff Almer, who's the uh, the director of uh, hockey development at uh, with the Coyotes, and and Jeff played geez, number of years in different cities in Europe. I I saw a tweet that he put out the other day about uh, all the different jerseys that he was going to hang up in his house or somewhere uh, from all the different places he played. So you can uh, you can make a career out of that. Yeah, and and there's nothing wrong with not playing the National Hockey League, right? I, I think people think, oh, well, you play in the American, you know, even in the AHL, oh, you play in the AHL and you don't get the charter flights and you're busting to Bakersfield. Well, you know, that, that kind of sucks. I mean, some of those AHL players are making $800,000 a year. And when you really put it into into terms, especially in a, in a smaller um, city like Tucson, a smaller city in terms of, you know, population size, housing market, housing prices – $800,000 will get you a, a pretty nice place down in a place like Tucson. I mean, even like in, in Bakersfield, right? Like Bakersfield isn't like LA by any stretch and it's far cheaper to live in. I mean, sure. The city isn't huge and you know, there isn't a ton of big attractions and stuff, but you'll still make a decent amount of money. And again, say you play in, in the American league at a high level and maybe you make a couple NHL games and you know, you, you probably make, say you play five, six years, and then you go overseas a little bit, you, you'll make some pretty good money and and then be able to do something like come back and, and be an equipment manager, you know, be an assistant coach at a on a team. You know, I know Eddie Lack's a little bit different. He played a lot of years in the NHL, but you could come back, you know, to a place that you love, like it, like in Arizona, like a Vegas, and, and be a volunteer coach or even get paid while you still, you know, you saved your money and, and kind of build a life after that. Yeah, absolutely. And <clears throat> excuse me. Um, as we were talking, the um, the, you know, the the AHL is, is springing up, and we know here in the desert southwest what we're going to see in the next couple of years. And with uh, the Vegas Arena still being built, I mean, they haven't slowed down a bit with this pandemic. They continue to work on that practice facility, and then when that's completed, they'll jump right over and start working on that uh, AHL. 6,000 seat arena as well, I'm sure. But then we have Palm Springs coming in and, you know, right in our backyard, we're all of a sudden looking at Tucson, Vegas, Palm Springs for, for AHL teams. And you and I both know just how good that hockey is because the, uh, the coyotes and the golden Knights pull their players up and down like crazy from that AHL franchise. Yeah. I think it just shows what having those, franchises next to each other can do I, and you and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago but you know it's it's not hey you get on a six-hour flight and hopefully you're here by seven o'clock you know get off the flight and sprint to the arena and get in gear and show up halfway through warm-ups it's hey we're calling you up today you know these players can eat a decent breakfast and they can drive their own car to the rink right, right. like I think that's yeah. that's one of the bigger things is yeah sure Tucson to Arizona is a a two hour drive and it's kind of lengthy, but like, say you're coming from, from Portland, Maine, you know, your house is up there. You don't have to fly in and be like, okay, well, where am I going to stay? You know, you don't have to like rush and slam, you know, 30 days worth of clothes into a suitcase. Cause you don't know how long you're going to be up. And you know, you're, you're couch surfing and, you know, couch surfing in the <laughs> NHL is probably really nice. Probably a little bit right. different than what we would consider <laughs> couch surfing, but, um, you know, you don't have to do that. You know, if you live in Tucson, you say, oh, okay, I'm going to be up for the next two weeks. You know, you you drive to the rink and you, you eat a nice breakfast and drive to the rink and have lunch with the team and then get ready to play. And then at the end of the night, it's like, okay, now I can go back to my house. Sure, it's a long drive. I'll go back to my house, get some things together, and maybe you're going on a road trip or maybe it's a homestand. So you're going to, you know, stay at, you know, one of the veterans' house who's been really nice to open up a bedroom or a couch. And, you know, it's just not... Oh, let me slam as much as I can into a suitcase and I have no idea when I'm going to be back. And, you know, and it can be tough for guys with, with families. You know what I mean? I think in the AHL, you know, you don't see a lot of guys with say like kids necessarily, but I mean, I think more than ever pets and, and dogs and animals are just as, just as part of a family as, you know, a child. So it's not like you're six, a six hour flight away and you got to lock your dog at home or you have to make an emergency, you know, Hey, can you wash my dog really quick? It's, yeah, you know, okay, I'll see you guys in a couple of weeks. And, you know, maybe on on an off day, you can go down 
back to Tucson and spend a day down there at your house. And, you know, I, I think a lot of those guys don't necessarily have houses in Tucson, but I'm sure they'll, you know, they'll get nice apartments or they'll rent houses together or whatever it may be. So it just, it, it makes it easier just in terms of an off ice standpoint as well as you don't have to leave everything behind and, and it be a six hour flight away and you can go down home for a day if you really need to and, and take care of some things. Well, you know what? We'll tie a bow up on that part of it. Then I want to finish up by uh, talking about the last event that I attended before everything kind of uh, went in pause mode. But, you know, to tie a bow up on um, what's going on in Vegas, they, they definitely wanted that franchise to be in Henderson because not only did they want to have more growth overall for hockey, but they wanted those guys to be able to live within the same city. So you could, your call up is, you know, 30 minute drive at the most from one way or the other. And you could actually live in between the two arenas if you wanted to and make it a 15 minute drive either way. I know that was extremely important for the Golden Knights. And uh, I'm hoping to hear soon that's going to be the Henderson Silver Knights, but we'll leave that for another conversation. But yeah, I know that's uh, extremely important. You and I talked uh, a couple of weeks ago also about, you know, would, would Tucson continue to be the home or would they try to move closer uh, for the Coyotes after they see what happens in Vegas as well? So a lot of questions unanswered, but, um, you know, I had a chance to watch women's professional hockey right at Oceanside. Uh, that was my last event and my last interview before everything kind of went dark on us here because of the pandemic was uh, with Shane Doan. And I, I can't tell you how enjoyable it is to continue to visit with him and, you know, he, he spent upwards of an hour after that uh, little scrimmage, if you will, with the uh, Coyotes alumni versus the uh, professional women's team. Uh, they, you know, I, I just amazed at the guy every time. And he's always so gracious. So for, you know, for that to be the last interview of quote unquote, this hockey season, what a thrill for me personally. Yeah, and and I think it's um, it just shows the growth of the game and and how much I think Shane Doan has has played a big part in it, right? Like I think when um, the Coyotes first came here, Keith Kachuk was the captain, and there were some you know uh, different circumstances, and I think that ended between you know uh, Keith Kachuk and and the not the fans but the the new ownership and the new management uh, around 2001 where he got traded to St. Louis. And, you know, I think that relationship soured and it was like, okay, well, who's going to step up and, and be that captain and, and be the face of the community. And it was Teppo Newman for a year. And then he was traded away. Um, and then, you know, it was Shane Doan and uh, it was the longest tenured captain in the NHL for a long time. And that really speaks a lot, right? I think, especially with how, for lack of a better term, bad the Coyotes were on the ice, especially in his prime years. And you and you see teams will move guys. I mean, you saw New Jersey, who was in a full rebuild, moved Blake Coleman to Tampa Bay for a first round pick. And again, not that you know Blake Coleman. I'm not trying to say he was had the exact leadership that Shane Doan had, but you know, you talk to. I heard a couple interviews with uh, Tom Fitzgerald, the uh, general, the now general manager of the New Jersey Devils, and and he would just say like, yeah, Blake Coleman was, you know, he was a big part of our room and a, you know, a, a good leader and, you know, helped the young kids along. To see a guy like that get traded and and a guy like Shane Doan not get traded when he was in his prime to a cup contender, even at a deadline, is amazing. And and that he stayed this long is, I mean, he even outlasted Jerome McGinley in terms of staying with his team, right? Like. Nobody, I think, ever thought Jerome McGinley was going to leave Calgary, and yet he went and played in Boston. And so I think it's just amazing that, you know, and again, that's no fault to anybody like a Jerome McGinley or a Blake Coleman for getting traded or, or leaving their respective team, right? It's a business, but that's why it's so amazing is because it's a business that there was uh, kind of a lot of a human side to Shane Doan staying um, in a business that can sometimes be really cruel. You know, and I had a chance to uh... – to ask him a little bit about that when I was uh, when I had a chance to visit with him quickly, and I also asked about the fact that uh, his son decided that he was going to become a Sun Devil, and I said, "Is this the first time that uh, that we had a, a Doan skating on the Ocean Side Rink?" 
or will there be a, will this be a second one? He and he went back all the way to ninety six, ninety seven, and talks about when they used to practice there with the Coyotes. So it was kind of fun just to kind of reminisce about that as well. Yeah, and I think um, I had a school project. This was back when I was at ASU. Um, about or no, it was actually back when I was at Glendale Community College, and I had to go down to the Phoenix Library near downtown and. Um, find these old newspaper articles. Yeah, you know, it was kind of like, oh, what does the newspaper look like back then and now? And and so oh, when wow. I was there, I kind of flipped say? through. Go ahead, go ahead. I mean, I, it was newspaper. What are those things? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know, right? Like, uh, who who reads those anymore? But right. that, well, that was the thing is we're in a time where those things get preserved now and are seen as artifacts. Kind of wild, but anyway. So I was kind of tooling around in there. I had I was like, oh, let's you know, I want I'm interested to see what you know, kind of what the, the articles are like, you know, when the Coyotes first came to town in, in July, August, September, 96. And yeah, reading through some of those articles, it was like, oh yeah, you can catch the Coyotes at Oceanside Ice Arena. And my jaw almost hit the floor. I'm like, man, Oceanside is uh, really the almost uh, as, you know, as people on Twitter will joke with, not, or not with ASU hockey, but at ASU hockey about their building and how old it is. It really is almost the test of time and almost the, the hockey mecca of Arizona, you know, where you, when it when it closes down, if it ever does, you you go over and you pour one out for Oceanside and say, hey, this is where this is where the dream of Arizona hockey all began with the Holden Coyotes practices, and I think the Arizona hockey community will uh, forever be in debt to Oceanside Ice Arena. Well, I think it's time to tease the uh, the show tomorrow night. Just on that note, because uh, tomorrow night on uh, College Hockey Week, Southwest Weekly, we're going to have uh, Greg Cameron from College Hockey News, and we're going to be talking about the uh, the proposed new building, which is going to be on the Packard uh, Baseball Stadium site, the old Packard Stadium, I should say. Um, it's going to be voted on apparently with the Board of Regents on April second or third, and uh, things could progress to the point where. I understand November or uh, August of 2022, they could be in the new building with construction starting uh, relatively soon. So that would be good stuff. But tune in tomorrow night to College Hockey Southwest Weekly as well and uh, and listen in on that. And we kind of wrap things up, Seth. The, tell me what you think if the NHL does decide to come back um, and the players are able to play. Has this rest been good for the Coyotes players that, that in your estimation, needed some time to heal? I'm thinking guys like Jacob Chikrin and maybe even the goaltenders. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a good break from the season, but I, other than the Jacob Chikrin injury, I know Demers was a little banged up. Um, obviously there's the bumps and bruises through the season, but I just, maybe I think it's a good reset mentally, right? Like the Coyotes were in this grind of the season and it was, I felt like they were at a point um, where they, it was almost like, the downhill train that you couldn't stop, right? Like it just, the mount, the losses were mounting up and it was, you know, it was getting harder and harder for them each night. And it's just so, I think it's so good mentally to where even if they start the season back up, which again, I don't think they will, but even if they say, okay, play, play the last six games of your schedule and then we'll do a, a, sh- a shortened playoff. Or if they let 24 teams into the playoff, I think it's a good rest for them mentally to come back and say, okay, we're ready to go. I mean, I think the Coyotes in the early part and right before, uh, maybe not right before the all-star break because they were on that tough losing streak, but right before that losing streak before the all-star break, probably between, you know, the start of the season and that losing, before that losing streak started, were A, playing their best hockey. They were in first place, but I think you just, every night you saw them and, and they look sharp and they look mentally in it and, as the season has gone on and has, as they've slowly been kind of knocked down the standings, I think it's worn on them. And I think it's worn on some of those younger players who haven't been through it like that before. Cause I think last season was okay. They were in the wild card fight all year long and injuries took them down and that was tough. But this year they sat multiple days and multiple weeks in first place in the Pacific. And I know the Pacific wasn't as strong as the central. So if you want to say, well, Maybe they weren't sitting at the top of the conference. That's that's a fine argument, I guess. But I think some of these guys are, are like, okay, we were in first place. We had a chance to run away with it. We didn't capitalize. And now we're getting knocked out on the standing. And it's almost like, you know, 
sometimes when you're lost, you just kind of look at each other and say, I, I don't know what to do to you guys. And it seems like everybody's kind of, you know, shrugging their shoulders like, uh, well, let's let's keep going till we figure it out. And, you know, at a certain point in the NHL season, you know, the, the train stops. You run out of tracks in terms of regular season. And you that's, you know, when if you're the conductor of a of a speeding train that's going to hit a wall at, at some point, you can't be shrugging your shoulders at everybody. You got to act. And I think this is a good time for them to to breathe and say, OK, maybe this is, you know, come up with a plan that says, OK, this is how we get this you know, falling train to stop and, and get things back on track. Yep. Very good analysis on the, uh, the Coyotes. I'll give you just a couple of minutes on the uh, Vegas Golden Knights is what, uh, as anybody knows with us, you're our, you're a guy for the Coyotes. I cover the Golden Knights for us. And uh, the Golden Knights, I think are, if anybody could have used the time, they were on a roll, but I think they could also use the time because they'd suffered some injuries, to some key players, um, I think Max Pacioretty went out. I think and Mark Stone was out. Um, those are some guys that they'd really like to have healthy by the time they got to the playoffs. So if and when the uh, season resumes, I'm sure the Golden Knights are going to really benefit from the fact that they're going to be firing on all cylinders again with healthy bodies as well. Um, we know what they did with their goaltenders, right? Their goaltending was as solid as ever, and maybe the break for them um, gives them a little – mental recharge like you were talking about with the coyotes as well so the desert southwest and the uh the nhl is in pretty good shape no matter what happens if we have to wait till next season to, to see this all come to fruition we will uh we'll be patient we want everybody to be safe out there and uh, safety first as uh as we all know so seth thanks for uh for jumping in again tonight and uh talking hockey with us thanks to cody williams the uh, pride of unlv for joining us tonight and uh best of luck to cody in his future endeavors whether it be back in france or somewhere else in europe or who knows maybe he ends up in the echl or battling for an ahl roster spot in uh in his hometown of vegas but final thoughts from you seth before we wrap it up tonight uh, yeah, I, I think it's just we're in such an interesting time. Like we've said pretty much on every podcast since the shutdown, which I guess it's felt like three months, but it's only been two weeks, <laughs> is that like, yeah, each time that we come on here, it's going to feel something different. And I think we're going to get to a point where, you know, in 10 days, if if there still is like, well, we're not exactly sure, um, like – I think you're, they're going to have to call it quits. Like I think in 10 days, if it's still, well, maybe it's another two to three weeks before we even flatten the curve. And maybe we can have groups of a hundred people out without it being a, a huge worry. I think, I think the season's over, unfortunately. And I think it's, it's one of those where, you know, in the 2004, 2005 lockout, it was at a certain point, you know, there's no use in trying to get back on the ice and, and, you know, getting things together. It's, you know, I think you just, okay, this is where we're at. Um, I think I had this conversation um, with another colleague of mine at, at GCC where we were talking about like the viability of being able to play. Uh, is a place like Gila River Arena, T-Mobile Arena, going to be able to keep their ice going in May? And is it even economically viable to keep the ice going for those teams in, in the warmest cities, right? Arizona, Vegas, places like Miami uh, for the Panthers and and Tampa and, and Anaheim and LA, like for some of those cities where it gets really hot in the summer, if the NHL is like, well, we're going to try to finish. Are some of these teams going to be like, we, we can't, it's not economically sensible to us to keep this ice up if we're not going to play for the next two months. Right. Well, you know, Vegas saw that with the, uh, the Stanley cup final in June and the ice surface was, was tough to hang on to uh, mid June. So uh, really good point. I guess only time will tell. Seth, thanks again for stepping in. Uh, appreciate it as always. We'll be back next Monday night on Professional Hockey Southwest Weekly. Until then, folks, enjoy a little Hello New Day from Roger Klein and the Peacemakers. <laughs>